of the story. Uh, of course, we were scheduled to have a baptism this morning. Found out when they, it takes a while to heat this thing, so, you know, you don't freeze to death when you get in there. And so when they cut it on, everything was working good, but when we came back to check it this morning, not working. So we postponed it, not next Sunday, but it would be after Easter uh, when we were able to celebrate with David and have the joy of celebrating with him through baptism, which is an act of faith in Jesus Christ. So we have a lot to celebrate. Uh, I guess on the uh, before we get that to celebrate, and he's risen, then we get to see in action the risen life in Christ. So what a joy that'll be. Um, I thought as I saw the kids come down, bringing the palm branches, as we all said together, Hosanna is he who comes in the name of the Lord, as we were able to listen uh, to Logan sing that great faithful song. I thought of the fact that the people were looking for a king who was going to put a crown on his head and take charge. But that's not what happened. Christ did not come to take a crown. He came to die on a cross. They didn't anticipate that although the scriptures talked about it, that certainly wasn't the path they looked for. And yet the amazing truth is, God loved us so much, he chose that path. Is it any wonder that the Apostle Paul, he did all these amazing things, and God used him in such powerful ways. And, you know, I'm convinced he's like the Southern Baptist superhero. You know, the way we talk about the Apostle Paul, how we'd like to be like him, you know. He's the, uh, he's the Avengers, uh, Avenger of the church. And yet, Paul said, one time he mentioned where he would boast. And there's a lot of stuff he could brag about. In Galatians 6, verse 14, he's talking to the church, of course, at Galatia, and he says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom I have been crucified to the world and the world to me. We're here this day to consider what God has given to us by way of the cross. The way of salvation was not the way of the crown, but the way of the cross. And, and this morning, I want to look at what we have received, the benefit of Christ. And later we'll enjoy that together as we share in the Lord's Supper. But uh, turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. And we're going to uh, look at uh, the first couple of verses here, uh, 1 through 6. So if you'll stand in God's honor. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you, 
who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in this last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Let's pray. You are truly an awesome God. That you saw our plight. And that you did the only thing you could do on the basis that God is love. You became what we needed. Thank you for that, Father. Thank you for that, Jesus. We are not deserving. That's not why you did it. I just pray as we take time to continue to worship you, Lord, and your love shown us, displayed us vividly, Father, through the work of Christ. I, I, I pray, Father, that you might continue to, to speak to us, Lord, as we consider you and what you have given us, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. J. Allen Blair, in one of his books, tells a story of a preacher who talked about a, a fellow preacher down the road at a church. Uh, and this was back in the days of the horse and buggy before we had the cars. And uh, This preacher was known for always sharing a blessing, something upbeat. No matter what the circumstances were, he was always able to find something positive. One Sunday morning, there was a fierce snowstorm. The wind was howling, and the people fought on their way to church. They were pretty dedicated to get there. Uh, what is he going to say that's upbeat? What blessing will he share with us? And as the preacher prayed, here's what he said. Heavenly Father, we thank you that not every day is as bad as this one. Man, there are times where we feel like our world is crumbling and is falling apart. As a matter of fact, as you open up here in 1 Peter, he describes these fellow believers as strangers in the world. Man, we're just strange here. We don't really belong. We're different. I think about what Jesus said in John 15, 19. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. They misunderstand us. They misinterpret us. Because God has changed us. God has done a work in us and through us for his glory. And, and so Peter, as, as he opens up this part, he comes down to verse 3, and he says, praise be to the God and Father. Now, that, in some translations, it says, blessed is our God and Father. And the word is from the word we get, our word eulogy, which means to speak good about. And often, you know, that's why at a funeral we call that a eulogy because as we remember the person, we remember uh, how they were a blessing to us. And so good things are spoken about that person. And Peter, as he thinks about these fellow believers, man, they're really struggling. This place is, was tough. Uh, they were outcasts. There was not really mercy shown to them by the community around them. And so Peter just 
bluntly says, you guys, we're strangers here. This is not really our home. And I think that's when he opens up this, he says, in his great mercy. Now, there's a difference between grace and mercy. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And I find it seems like the longer I go in life, the more I realize, man, I don't deserve it. I'm just a big mess up in so many ways. But mercy is different. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And the scriptures are very clear. It says, for the wages of sin is death. It says that we have a problem. It's a separation problem that is basically a heart problem due to sin, due to the fact that we are rebels against the God who loves us completely. And what we deserve is to be estranged from Him. What we deserve is what is known as hell. And yet the scripture tells us here, in His great mercy, He has given us. And that's what I want to look at this morning. What He has given to us. And the first thing He has given us is new life. New birth. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth. I love when Jesus came to Nicodemus, you remember, and, and he said to him, you must be born again, or you must be born from above. And of course, Nicodemus is trying to figure out, what are you talking about, Lord? I can't go back into my mom's womb. I'm too big to fit in there, even if it was a possibility. It couldn't work. But Jesus was not talking about physical birth. He was talking about the birth into a new creation, a new person. Galatians 6.15 tells us, Neither circumcision or uncircumcision uncircumcision counts for anything. In other words, church rules, our good works, our rituals, what we do in church, what we like, that's not what counts. The end of the verse says, what counts is a new creation. What counts is that we've had a personal, first-hand experience with our maker through his beautiful work at the cross of Jesus Christ. That's new birth. That's his mercy bestowed upon us. Max Lucado tells a wonderful story in one of his books. It's actually a true story that happened in a small village in Brazil. A mom named Maria had a teenage daughter that she deeply loved. She had a job where she basically custodial work. And it wasn't glorious. And her teenage daughter, Christina, said, I want to leave this place. It's so boring. I want to go to the city where there's so much opportunity and, and where there's real life and, and excitement. And, and, of course, this worried her mom, Maria, because she also knew the danger there was in the city. And one day, Maria's fears came true. She looked at the little pallet that her daughter slept on, and Christina wasn't there. And she looked around and realized that she had left. And then the fears entered her mind and her heart, and she was paralyzed. And so she, she went to a, a nearby drugstore, and they had one of those booths where you can take photos. You, you remember those? You, you sit in there and take little snapshots of yourself, and... She took the money she could spare and snapped as many photos of herself as she could. 
Did she manage to get transportation to Rio de Janeiro, the city? She went looking for her daughter. And she spent time there. She went to the places she thought that her daughter would be. And finally she came to the conclusion, there's only one way for her to survive here. She doesn't have any skills. And so she began to ask around and find the section of town where there were prostitutes. And so she went into some of the bars. She went into the hotels. Um, she went into the places where she thought her daughter might possibly be. And she left those little pictures in obvious places. And on the back of every little picture, she had the same message. And then heartbroken, after several weeks with her funds exhausted, she headed home, worried sick about Christina. And, and then it happened one day. Christina came down the stairs of the place she was staying, and she looked on the wall, and she saw a familiar face in a little snapshot. And she thought, I... and she walked over, and she picked up the picture, and sure enough, it was her mom. And she turned the picture around and read these words. Wherever you are, whatever you have become, it doesn't matter, come home. And she did. That is the story of the gospel. That is His great mercy. We deserve payment for our sins. For our self-centeredness and our prideful choices. But God says no matter where you've been. No matter what you've done. Come home. It's, man, what a great word. What great mercy that our God has fully bestowed upon us. Man, it's good stuff. Now, secondly, not only a new birth, we've got a living hope. Look, the scripture goes on. In His great mercy, God has given us new birth into a living hope. A living hope. Guys, we don't have a hope that is based on some fantasy or some legend or some group of people. We have truth. We have a hope. That is alive. And why is our hope alive? Because our Lord is alive. And of course that's going to be the focus next week because it doesn't get any better than the crescendo of a grave where a body is missing. Where our Lord is, is fully alive and that shows us that that awaits us. Resurrected life awaits us because of a resurrected Lord. Now 400 years before the time of Jesus there was a famous playwright called Sophocles, a Greek playwright who, man, he was on top of his culture. He was wealthy, but he was also without hope. Oh, this is what he wrote. He said, just before he died, he wrote, not to be born at all, that is by far the best fortune. The second best is as soon as one is born with all speed to return from whence one has come. No hope. But we have a living hope because of our living Lord, Jesus Christ. Our hope is not a vague wish. I mean, I could say, man, I hope today I have pizza and ice cream for lunch because that's two of my favorite foods. I'd be happy. But, but that's a, you know, that's just a, like a wish, especially at this point. 
But what we have is a hope that is not a vague wish. It is a clear expectation with a certain anticipation that what awaits us is life. It, it is the hope that is found in Christ that is true because of the salvation afforded to us by the work of Calvary, Jesus Christ. It is a true hope that is ours. And the resurrection is proof that that hope has been fulfilled. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, as you go down through there, it's very interesting. In, in verse 14, it says, If he is not risen from the dead, our faith is worthless. Why are we even here at the church? If Jesus Christ is not alive, why are we here? What hope do we have? I hear about some people and they go to church and they don't believe that Jesus is God. They don't believe in the miracles of the Bible. They don't have any hope that he is really risen. Why are you here? Why? Why? Uh, verse 17, it tells us, if he is not risen, we're still in our sins. There is no power to free us from our sins if he is not risen. Verse 19, it says, if he is not risen, we are the most to be pitied of all people. But he's risen. He is risen. Now, third, the third wonderful truth that Peter breaks out in praise, a, a good word for our God is this, that we have awaiting us an eternal inheritance. You know, it's kind of exciting to realize that someone loves us. They love us so much they got something waiting for us, something good. Man, we can't even fathom how good what God has waiting for us. This awesome stuff that our God promises to give us out of His blessing and inheritance. Just several scriptures. I just mentioned a few of these. Obviously, this is not exhaustive. Uh, in Titus 3, 7, we have eternal life. In Matthew 25, 34, the kingdom of God is ours. In Ephesians 1, 14, we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. In Colossians 3.24, we're told that our inheritance includes rewards. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, we're told that our salvation is a final inheritance that's secure. In Matthew 5.5, 5, we're told that we'll inherit the earth. As a matter of fact, all these people that run around telling us that you know, the world is soon going to die and that we're destroying the earth and they're scrambling desperately to save the earth. Guess what? They're not going to save the earth because God is saving it for you. God is saving it for His people. He, there will be a new heaven and there will be a new earth. And regardless of, of all of our ultimate fret about the end of the world, God's in control of this world. And God will, in His time, remake. Notice what it says about this inheritance. I love this in the text. Uh, it tells us that the inheritance can never perish. It means, man, it ain't ever going to spoil or go bad. One day I looked in the refrigerator and I grabbed some milk. I know you're not supposed to do this. But I was, I was thirsty. I said, I'm going to take me a little swig. That stuff had spoiled. Phew! Man, that's nasty. The inheritance of God is never going to spoil. It's never going to perish. 
the word that's used here, uh, it has the idea of an invading army that comes in and brings utter destruction and pain to the people uh, which are invaded. But he says that's not going to happen with God's inheritance. I mean, we get up to heaven, there's no police. You don't have to have locks on your doors. Um, you don't have to worry about crime. You don't have to worry about, about the lies, uh, about hate. Because God, God will, he'll, he'll, he'll take care of all of that. And part of our, our fallen nature is that we just can't see him. We, it's, just, it's like we're looking through a glass darkly or, or through a mirror. We don't have a clear view. But one day we will have that clear view. As a matter of fact, I love how he says it in here. He says that this inheritance will never fade. Man, everything we get here, it fades. You get something and you say, Man, I want this. I want this really bad. You ever done that? Man, you get all excited and you manage to finally get it. You know? And then what happens? I don't know, man. Just lost its luster, lost its shine. That shiny new toy. It was great for a small amount of time, but I'm not as excited as I used to be. You know what this means? It means when we get to heaven, heaven will never lose its luster. We'll never say, "Well, I've been here long enough. What's next, Lord?" It's never going to happen. It is a picture here that speaks of flowers. You know, every once in a while, it can't happen, guys. I get a little romantic. I'll see some flowers out there, and I'll buy some flowers for my wife. You know, you put them in water, and they look great for a while. But eventually, you know what happens? They shrivel up, and they lose their beauty. That is not going to happen when we get to heaven. I love that verse in Amazing Grace when we've been there 10,000 years. Man, it'll, it'll just be like it just began because of the glory of God, because what awaits us, because of our maker, because things are right and we're going to be fulfilled through the work of the Lamb of God and it'll be a time of worship and it's never going to grow stale. Man, we're going to be charismatic all the time, full of the power and, and love and the Spirit of God and the fruit of the Spirit. It's going to be awesome. There'll be no fading in that beauty. And I love it. As he closes out this verse, he says that this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Chuck Swindoll, uh, in his commentary on this scripture, says, uh, when you arrive, some celestial receptionist won't look at you and say, now what was your last name again? Can I see your credit card just one more time? Not after the long journey through life, the living God will welcome you home without one inch of red tape. Your reservation will never get lost. You know, just spending a couple of minutes online, you know, doing the Google thing, looking for unusual inheritances. Uh, here's a few I ran across. Two homeless brothers in Eastern Europe inherited more than a billion dollars from a grandmother they never knew. A woman left her pet dog $10 million. Even Napoleon left everything behind. In fact, instead of his fortune, he left some of his hair to his friends. Boy, I bet they were impressed. <laughs> what a letdown. 
Um, and then I found one story. One of the richest women in Asia left her vast fortune to her mystic guru because he promised her that he can guarantee her eternal life. And the only one that can guarantee eternal life is eternal. That's our hope. The living Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we're here to offer a good word to him. Because he deserves a good word. Because he's the source of all this. Without him it could not be ours. It would not be given to us. One last thing here. As I close out. A good word to our awesome God because of his personal guarantee. Look at verse 5. Who were shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. The salvation to be revealed. When we look at that word salvation, it comes in three aspects or three tenses or phases. There is past salvation which means we have been forgiven of our sins. And the word appropriated to that is justification. We have been justified. Our sin does not condemn us. We have been justified. And then there's the present tense, present aspect, where we have power from God to live in victory day to day because the Spirit of God is going to guarantee what is to come. He has sealed us and He empowers us to walk faithfully with our God. That's present salvation. And the word we use for that is sanctification. To be set aside. To be holy for Him. And then there's the future aspect of salvation. We call this glorifications. That when There'll be no presence of sin. Man, won't that be good? I'll be able to get out of my own way. Instead of messing everything up. And, and, and be able to be who God made me to be. And, and boy, that awaits us all. And... How do we know that is ours? Because God gave his personal guarantee. You see, it says when we are shielded, it is a word that is a military term that talks about soldiers, powerful soldiers guarding something that is critical. In this case, who is guarding our salvation? God himself. You talk about secure. God is guarding our salvation and we are heirs of him. I love it. If you're ever wandering and sinful, understand that your God is great with mercy. It's our God, great with mercy. We may think, well, I don't deserve to live, but He's giving you new birth, a new start every day. That's the beauty of the gospel. His mercies are new every morning. You're bankrupt and penniless but yet He has given you an eternal inheritance that's never going to grow dim, that awaits us in heaven. We may be wandering through this life and through this place, but His guarantee is clear. Now, I want us to take some time as, as we've spent time saying a good word about our God, what He has provided us. To share together through the Lord's Supper with our little cups. It's an opportunity for us to be able to give a good word about our God. Because through the partaking of the Lord's Supper, we are saying, God, you are so good. And we celebrate you and we worship you as we remember your sacrifice.
But as we take back that first seal, we'll be able to get the wafer. We remember his body broken for us. And he said, whenever you eat this bread, you proclaim my death until it comes. So may we proclaim his death. And as we think of the cup, we come face to face with the fact that our God would rather die for us than live without us. And that is exactly what he did. That is our hope as we celebrate this day. As you have Hosanna, God in the highest, and the palm branches, and right around the corner, the walk to the cross. And his ultimate death paid for us. We drink of the cup because we remember he is our living bread. I'm going to say a, a prayer. We're going to have a, a, a time of invitation. We, we always want people to have a chance to respond. And it may be that you don't have that hope. You, you know God... You've heard about God, you know, you've been to church in the past, but you really didn't make the connection that God personally did all this for you. That he wants a relationship with you. That he wants you to be his child and to receive what he's given by the work of his son. We want to give you a chance to just be honest before God and say, God, man, I need that in my life. Forgive me of my sin. Enter my life. Give me your spirit as a guarantee of what will come when I die. We want to give you an opportunity, if you haven't responded to Christ in his gift of mercy, to do that this morning. Or for the rest of us, maybe for some reason uh, we're already his child, but we've let other things block the flow of the Spirit of God in our lives so that we don't have the love, peace, joy, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all those things uh, of, the, of the Spirit. Um, and, and God, we just, we just want to renew our walk with you, Lord. We want to be honest and come before you. We have an altar that's open uh, to do business, or, or I'll be here if God's working and you want to share something with God's people or, or just would like me to pray with you. We just want to worship him today as we have remembered what he has given us. Let's pray. God, thank you for your mercy and what you've given to us, Lord. Father, you've done it all, and you're just waiting for us to respond to it. So, Lord, I just want as much as possible for everyone who is listening to either have responded or respond now but not be left out. Because what you've done is just too good to ignore or to reject. And if we don't respond, whether we realize it or not, we're saying no. So God, may this be a day of yes before you. Just work among us in this time we call response or invitation.
that you might be pleased. In Christ's name we pray.